Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Sermons Podcast. Enjoy the sermon by Pastor Jason. Sovereign Grace Church is a Bible-based, gospel-centered church. Please enjoy. So this morning, we're continuing in John, and I want to begin with our text for this morning as we start. And this is the testimony of John, verse 19. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. John 1, 19. We're going through verse 28 today. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Why? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you neither... You are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is infallible, inspired, and inerrant that it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that testify to supernatural events that were prophesied in Scripture and it is fulfilled in Christ. Father, remove the veil that we may see exactly what you have to say to us in this text. Holy Spirit, be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path as we go through this, through this journey, through the Word that it may make an impression upon our hearts and minds that we may never forget what you have said here. We thank you. Open our hearts and minds that I move out of the way. Holy Spirit, you speak to your people this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So in this set of texts, we are actually discussing one of the most important yet underappreciated men of the Bible. I said it this morning in Sunday school, we were talking about it a little bit. John the Baptist is literally the second most important person talked about in Scripture. How do we know this? Because Jesus said, among men born of women, there is risen none greater than John the Baptist. So he actually elevates him to best man ever born, basically. So he is the second most important person talked about in Scripture. Of course, we know the most important is... Jesus himself. So, we want to look at John the Baptist. We want to see him. Um, Arlie Ray, her favorite person in the Bible used to be John the Baptist. She loved to read about John the Baptist. She loved to watch Superbook about John the Baptist. She loved John the Baptist. So first, let's look at some info on John that will help us a little in the text. Um, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 2 says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
This is a very familiar message that he's preaching. Because it's actually the same message that Christ preached after he was baptized by John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, with the message he preached, there was a very dire, specific warning that he wanted everybody to take heed of. And he says it, he puts it in, in, in some specific words in Luke 3.17. In Luke 3.17 he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. If you want to think about a winnowing fork, you ever seen the, uh, the Grim Reaper? He got the sickle and he cuts it with a winnowing fork. Comes through and it picks it up and it throws it up in the air. The wheat falls and the chaff blows away. And the chaff they take and they burn. So he's talking about a, a very important warning to those who are listening to him. These are not empty words. They aren't figurative language that's meant to capture your attention and, and sound cool and get everybody thinking. It's a distinct warning. He was showing the seriousness of his whole message. Because he pointed to Christ. He pointed to the Messiah. He pointed to the King. And the King was there. He was present. Notice how he said, he, He's here. You don't know who he is, but he's here. To miss the King would be disaster much as it is now. Listen to that verse again. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the Jewish leadership had been hearing about this and what John was saying Hearing all about this, John the Baptist out in the wilderness in his in his sheepskin tunic, eating locusts and honey. So they sent some priests and Levites out to question him. Let's look at verse 19 and 20 once more. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews were sent, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Notice that language. Isn't that interesting language? He confessed. He didn't deny. He confessed. Okay? It's very forceful about what John is saying here. John isn't mincing words. He's wanting to clear it up from the get-go because he knows what they're really asking. He's wanting to clear it up from the get-go. He says, I am not the Christ. This was really what they wanted to know. They wanted to know, so are you saying you're the Christ out here? John didn't hesitate to tell them, absolutely not. And it's amazing to see that to see that, that John's reaction, John with some actual authority from God and a very important 
figure in, in redemptive history, right? He's the forerunner of Christ. He's, he's very important in redemptive history, yet he says that without hesitation. And today we see the heresy that's been growing even more and more prevalent in the modern age, which is that we're little gods. We are not little gods. Or that our name, my name should be Jason Christ. Your name should be Garrett Christ. You should be Jesse Christ or Gizzard Christ. No, not true. I am not the Christ. Or the one that's become a lot more prevalent, especially here recently in the progressive church, that we all have the universal Christ in us. No, there is one Christ. That is why he is called the Christ. Right? He is the Christ, not a Christ. He is the Christ, the anointed one of God. So we can all clearly say with John, we can get shirts made if we want to, that just basically says, I am not the Christ. Period. It's absolute truth. And that's when they, because he didn't answer yes to that question, that's when they start to grill him a little bit more. They need to try and find out exactly who this dude is. Because he's attracting a lot of attention. A lot of people are coming to him to be baptized. And that's an interesting point that we'll get to later. A very interesting point about baptism. Very interesting. In verse 21, let's read it. And they asked him, Whoa, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So, they ask him if he is Elijah. And he says, No. Why is this an important question? Malachi 4 5. Malachi 4 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. You want to know what's so important about this? This was literally the last prophecy before 400 years of silence. There's a gap between the end of Malachi and the coming of Christ of about 400 years. The last thing said was, I will send you Elijah. This seems to be a problem when it's compared to another verse in the New Testament. Something said by Jesus himself. In, uh, in Matthew eleven thirteen through 14 For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Uh-oh. Jesus said he is Elijah. John's, John said, I'm not Elijah. It seems like John is saying that what Jesus said here is not true. But that is specifically why we don't take singular verses and use those as the end-all, be-all about great, deep spiritual things. We must use 
proper hermeneutics. When something is hard to understand, do you know what the rule is? Take easier explanations and use that to help guide your study. If we don't understand a certain scripture, do you know what the biggest interpreter of scripture is? Scripture itself. Scripture interprets scripture. Luke 1.17. Maybe this will help us. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. John was not, and this is what he was answering, John was not Elijah reincarnated. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't reincarnate people as somebody else. It says in that scripture we just read that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. John operated in the same spirit and ministry as Elijah as he called for repentance in the time of Ahab and Jezebel. If you recall, he was hated. He called, he called no rain for years to draw the people of repent, people to repentance, to draw Ahab himself to repent of marrying that idol worshiper. So, John was literally preparing the way in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not Elijah reincarnated. And if we want to really look at it, you can get a clear example of the fact that he's not Elijah. He's not Elijah come back to earth. How do we do that? Go to the Mount Transfiguration. Who met with Jesus at the Mount Transfiguration? Elijah and Moses. Not John the Baptist and Moses. Okay? He operated in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's where we get in trouble by not having a proper hermeneutic when we read our Bibles. Don't isolate scriptures and come up with a big grand idea. We must use scripture to interpret scripture. All those scripture. Tota Scriptura is important to us. He also said, I am not the prophet. Here's something interesting we're fixing up. You may not know this. This is something I kind of learned a little bit more about as I was doing this. Because I always wondered why they said, are you the prophet? Well, who's that? Deuteronomy 18.18. This is where they pulled it from. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among their brothers. He's talking about Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Okay. This is something you may not know. The Jews of that age were looking for Elijah, and they were looking for the Messiah, because the, Elijah was going to pronounce the coming of the Messiah. But they were also looking for the prophet. So they were looking for three different things. So, that's another one in addition to the forerunner and the Messiah. And R.C. Sproul points out something very important about this particular verse. It is, a, it is definitely a verse that prophesies one to come. It definitely is. God wouldn't say it like he said it unless it was a prophecy of one to come. 
But here's the important thing that we need to understand. We need to put it into its context. What is the context of all of Scripture? Now, we talked last week about the relationship of Moses and Christ, right? Moses was a mediator of the Old Testament law, right? And Christ was the better mediator, right? But Moses was a mediator. So as he's talking to Moses in Deuteronomy, he is talking to Moses, the mediator. And what does he say to him? I will raise up for them a prophet like you. He's saying, I will raise up for them another mediator, a better mediator, and he will speak to them all that I command them. The prophecy is that there would be another mediator, a better one. And guess what? Christ is the prophet. Christ is the prophet because this is a prophecy about the Messiah, not some other guy. John knew that he wasn't the better mediator. He couldn't establish a relationship between God and man. He could call them to repentance. He could call them to, to leave behind these awful traditions that they had started instead of the Word of God. He could call these brood of vipers as he liked to call them. He could call them to, the, to get in the water and be baptized and repent for what they had been doing to the people of God. But he knew that he could not restore the relationship between God and man. There was only one who could. The real mediator the real Messiah, the real King, Jesus Christ. So, now, this would be the part of like Law and Order or CSI when the interrogation escalates. He's not giving them the answers they want, so they escalate, they escalate a little. They're getting a little upset here. Because I'm sure that they were, they were forced to go talk to him anyway. And they probably didn't want to. These Pharisees are like, you're going to go tell me. You're going to find out who this guy is. Because I'm sure that they were filling the coffers. Right? Verse 22 and 23. The interrogation escalates. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That's who he said he was. Now, these guys are frustrated, as you can tell. John isn't any of the people that the rumor said he was. Truth be told, they may have wanted to hear a yes to at least one of these questions for one of two reasons. First, to be able to get him for blasphemy, which is probably what the Pharisees wanted, so they could call him a blasphemer and get him killed, right? That's probably what they wanted, truth be told. But it also could have been so that they could finally rejoice that the one, that finally, that the, 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 one of these guys we've been waiting for is finally here, right? We've been waiting 400 years since that last prophecy, and we ain't seen nothing. We've seen a bunch of guys who tried to be and definitely weren't. Maybe, just maybe, he would answer yes and they would be able to finally rejoice that the one they had waited for had finally come. 
But John answers them from Isaiah. Isaiah 43. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John was telling them that the king was there. He's trying to say, I'm the voice in the wilderness that you guys have been reading about in Isaiah for years. I'm the voice. We need to make his path straight. We need to make a road for the Messiah. We need to open hearts. We need to, to start preaching repentance and the kingdom of heaven is at hand so that we can prepare the way for the one who is here who is the king. Because there definitely was another person walking the earth at that time that would use Isaiah to describe and identify himself. John said, I'm just the voice. Just the voice. But Jesus used Isaiah in a, in a very different way. Luke 4, 18-21 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. I want to pause right there. Let's set the mood. He's just read from the scroll of Isaiah, one of their most important scrolls. And he's read one of the most important parts and then he just rolls it up and he hands it back to the guy and he goes and sits down. He's supposed to explain it. He's supposed to teach. He's supposed to be a rabbi right now. He's supposed to be teaching in the synagogue. But he just rolls it up and sits down. And everybody did exactly what you guys would do if I just read the verses for this and I went over there and sat down after closing my Bible. They turned their heads and they looked at him. Is that it? But listen to what he says next. Because everyone was looking at him silent, he said. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We don't have the perspective to understand what just happened. We know who Christ is. That's why we're sitting in this church. We know who Christ is. He's definitely the Messiah. He walks into the synagogue. He reads Isaiah. And he said, It's me. I just fulfilled the scripture and you're hearing. You guys all saw it because I just proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor right in front of you. Jesus, man. The awesomeness of being in the synagogue would have been amazing. But think about it. John used Isaiah. He said, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm trying to make straight the path for the Lord. And then Jesus says, I am the Lord. It's me. I'm the king you've been waiting for. The one who fulfills Scripture is the one that John is making the path for. 
Let's read verses 25 through 27. We see in 24 who sent them. We knew who sent them. We didn't even have to read that in the parentheses, did we? We knew the Pharisees sent them because the Pharisees were the biggest troublemakers of the day. Let's read, let's read 25 through 27. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Jesus, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. They asked how he had the authority to baptize. R.C. Sproul gives a, 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 a quick history of baptism in that time. Here's some, something interesting. Within the 400-year gap, baptism was invented. And it was used as a way to bathe Gentiles into the Jewish faith. And here's an interesting thing. They had to do it themselves in the sight of everybody. They didn't get baptized. They didn't get dunked. They did it themselves. It was not for the Jews. Yet John was himself baptizing Jews. Notice that baptism is a part of the Great Commission. We are called to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John, in baptizing, is not just trying to give himself a cool title of John the Baptist. John is literally fulfilling the will of the Father. If Christ commands it, it must be the will of the Father that we be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, John is always pointing straight to Christ. He never points to himself. He never points to his own talents, and he never points to his own ministry. He never points to his own treasure, as, as Brother Garrett talked about this morning. He never is pointing to himself. He's never focused on himself. He's always pointing at Christ. And may I say this, modern pastors and ministers would do well to follow in his footsteps. John never takes a single ounce of glory for being who he was. And he was the greatest man ever born to a father and a mother, not to the spirit and a mother. But listen to what he said later on in John, in John 3.30. See, he's had a roaring ministry. People have been coming to him in droves. But now it's starting to change. They're starting to go to Jesus and they're not coming to John. But listen to what John says. John 3.30. He must increase, but I must de decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Make this a verse that you remember in your own life when you start to seek your own. Because here's the thing about John. He is probably ten times the preacher of anyone today. He is ten times the preacher of anybody on the, on, on the, on, on the earth today. Yet, he only saw the glory for Christ. He only wanted to make a road 
for the king. That's all he wanted. He didn't, he didn't care about any of the other stuff. None of that mattered to him. He didn't, he didn't need accolades for his ministry. He didn't need to be the most sought-after conference speaker. He didn't need to have the hugest church or the most followers or the most expensive watch or the most expensive sneakers or the or be dressed so cool that people are like, man, that pastor's cool. He's it, man. All he needed to do was call to repentance and just make the road. He wanted to make the road for the king. So let's expand on what we've learned here. We've gone through these verses. We've seen what these things mean. We know, I think we get a pretty good picture of who John is through these, these verses as he's being interrogated. They want him to be other things, but he will only say, I'm a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a man. And what's so interesting, I think it was interesting too, I didn't add it into my notes, but just kind of a little, a little side here. He talks about whose, whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. In, the, in, in that day, if there was a great teacher and they had a disciple, this disciple basically became like their servant. They did everything. They, as you can see, when Jesus says, "Go, go, get the house prepared," right, for the for the Lord's for the Lord's last supper, right. When he says, "Go, go get the food," he's they're basically serving him which is what they were supposed to do in that day. There was only one thing that the disciple didn't have to do in that culture. Do you know what it was? He did not have to touch his master's shoes. Because he wasn't a chattel slave. He was just a servant and a disciple. John goes to the point where he says, look, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm less than nothing when compared to my king. That is, that is, that is powerful. To me. So let's expand on it. What can we learn from John the Baptist? First of all, this will not be a sermon where you hear, "You are John the Baptist. You are this." You're... No, John the Baptist is John the Baptist. Okay. Okay. He's the one who's John the Baptist, and we're going to take some of the things that he did and some of the ways that he acted. And we're going to see if we can apply that in our own spiritual discipline. The first thing that we can learn from John the Baptist is very simple. Humility. The men from the Pharisees wanted him to have a title. They wanted him to be Messiah. They wanted him to be Elijah. They wanted him to be the prophet. And he refused all those titles. He was a man. A voice in the wilderness. Luke 14, 11. Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And John should be exalted. John the Baptist was very humble. Never sought his own glory. In our culture, we see so many who should be exalting Christ's name, seeking to be famous themselves. Celebrity culture with so many pastors has made the faith a joke to a lot of people. Have you heard? I don't. I don't know exactly where it is in scripture. When you, when when I think it was in Romans when Paul says, 
because of you, the world is blaspheming the name of God because of how they were acting. That's what we see here. I can't tell you how many uh, preacher in skinny jean memes I see or preacher trying to be cool memes or people making fun of Christianity in general. If we're honest though, don't we all kind of seek recognition and acclaim? Don't we all seek it? Pride is an ever-present sin in most of our lives. And because of that, we need to repent. And we need to seek after humility. It's part of our sanctification. It's part of seeking after holiness to be humble. The next thing we can learn from John is this. He was always on message. Never got off message. John preached nothing different on his last day than he preached on his first day. What did he preach? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Get in this water. Cleanse yourself from this sinfulness. Turn from your ways, you brood of vipers. What did he say? He said, you brood of vipers? Who, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? He preached it. And he preached it the same the first day as his last day. How do we know? Because he was in prison for telling Herod, you're sinning by taking your brother's wife. You're sinning. John preached repentance. He preached that the king had arrived. He wanted to make the path straight. There were no cultural talks from John. He didn't buy into any world systems. Surveys did not guide his services. He preached the absolute word, no compromise. He confronted sin and he paid for it with his life. His very head, he paid for it. And what a life not wasted in the least to give it up preaching the truth. There's many men of God right now overseas who are doing that very same thing who are losing their lives and not giving up because they just desire to make the name of the Lord famous in the world. The next thing we can, we can apply from John is this. He was Christ focused. John knew Christ was king. He was Lord to John. John didn't even find himself worthy enough to touch his shoes. He gave honor and worship to Christ alone. Even when he baptized Jesus, he felt absolutely unworthy to do it. In the presence of Christ, we diminish. And you know what? We should. Because Christ is Lord. He's King. He's all in all. To pave the way for Christ was John's sole mission in life. No other mission. He didn't get off task. He was Christ focused. He knew exactly who he was here for. He took it very seriously. And nothing could sway him from accomplishing his ultimate purpose. And you want to know the truth about it? He accomplished his mission. He paved the way for the Messiah. He did it. And that brings us to the application of this great truth. Like I said, 
We are not heroes. We're not the heroes of the Bible. We don't put ourselves into the Bible as heroes. That's called narcissus. That's making Bible stories about you. Guess what? They aren't about us. And truth be told, those characters most of the time aren't that great. There's no character in, in Scripture except maybe John the Baptist, but even John the Baptist doubted as we talked about this morning. There's no character in the Bible who is a 100% a, a hero. David, adultery and murder. Abraham, my wife's my sister. Okay? They're not heroes. There's only one hero of Scripture. Do you know who that is? Jesus Christ. When we see David killing the giant, what are we seeing? We're seeing a picture of one sent from God slaying the great giant. What is the great giant in our lives? Sin. Who did it? Jesus. Not you. The giant is not your boss at work who you don't like. The giant is not a financial issue in your life that you've got to slay. The giant isn't sickness. No, the giant is sin and Christ killed it. We're the sissified Israelites, okay? That's what we are. The ones scared to face it. We needed, we needed, we needed David. And Jesus was our perfect David. So we're not the hero. And even in John's story, who's the hero? Is John the Baptist the hero in his own story? Absolutely not. He makes Christ the hero in his story. So I do think that we can learn things that we can apply. We see things that we can learn from John, but let's, let's apply them. Let's apply these things now. Now we know some great things about John and what he is and how we should seek to be like him, but let's apply it now. And that's what we want to do. What can we apply? First, we can apply that we should never seek our own glory. We're only sinners who have received great mercy from a holy God. There's nothing within us that makes us worthy of accolades. The sooner we can realize that, the better it be for us. Because we won't be sitting there expecting accolades and not getting them. Much like John, Christ should be the focus of glory, not our own fame. How many have we seen in Christianity and even outside Christianity who have sought their own glory, who have got to the highest point and all of a sudden, and it's done. They fell. They sinned. They mishandled funds. They mishandled relationships. No, they sinned. And they fell because they were seeking their own glory. And if we exalt ourselves. What does the Bible say is going to happen? What does Jesus say? You're going to be humbled. But if you humble, humble yourself, you will be exalted. Will you be exalted on this earth? Not necessarily. And most likely not if you humble yourself on this earth. But guess what? I don't need to be exalted here. I just want to be glorified in front of Christ and see Him. And that's the most important thing. That's what we, see, we do. We seek God's glory, Christ's glory alone. Not ours. The next thing that we could take and apply to our lives is to be gospel-focused. I know what you're thinking. It seems like I preach this every Sunday. But listen, I can't say it enough. Gospel focus is essential to our lives as Christians. We must be a gospel-focused people, but not a different gospel. 
I like what Paul Washer said. Don't preach a gospel. Preach the gospel. So the gospel isn't my testimony. The gospel isn't uh, give more money, you'll get more things. Those aren't those aren't gospel things. The gospel is the, is the story of God redeeming His people from the wrath to come of God for sin through the death of God Himself. You see, God saved us for Himself, from Himself, by Himself. That's the gospel. It's about God the Son condescending to save man from their sins by taking on flesh and becoming a curse to save us. That's, that's, that's the only good news. It isn't Jesus loves you and that's it. That's not the gospel either. Jesus loves you will not save you. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the great story of redemption from before time even began. And it will continue until Christ comes to, 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 to in, the, in the final day. That is the story of redemption. That's the good news. Does Jesus love us if we're in Christ? Absolutely He does. And that's nice. That's nice to know. That's wonderful to know. But it ain't the gospel. And it really doesn't save anybody. God, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You better think about the plan. Because the plan may be to be in Nigeria right now being murdered as a missionary like so many have. The plan may be to be in the jungles of, 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 of South America being eaten by cannibals as some people have had happen. So, He does have a wonderful plan for your life. But it may not be wonderful to you, but it is a wonderful plan because it's His plan. And the last thing that we can apply to our lives is this. Glory in Christ. We don't glory in anything on this earth. We can have beautiful houses. We can have beautiful cars. Wonderful friends. A beautiful family. Making money. We can own businesses, right? We can, we can have great jobs. We can have all these things, but we can't glory in any of that. Why? Because in a moment it will be turned to dust and it will be blown away to nothing. And all that's left is one thing, Christ. We glory in Him because He accomplished it all for us. He has saved us utterly, completely, and joyfully. He will call us up to meet Him one day whether we are in the grave or alive at the final day with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive remain will rise up to meet Him as well. And we will forever be with Him. We will be glorified. We glory in that because it's all about Christ. You see, Christ was John's King. The King who's path he was making straight. The one whose road he paved. And he is our king. 
So I'll ask you the same question that Brother Garrett asked this morning in Sunday school. What are you doing to grow the kingdom of God? Are you paving the road with the gospel? Even if it hurts a little sometimes, even if it's a sacrifice like you talked about, I think that's a wonderful thought. What are we doing to pave the road for our king? He's worthy. This is a king that we get to live with forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we will never be separated from him. He is our king. And he is a worthy king to worship. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the ministry of John the Baptist which has taught us so many good things about our own lives and about how to be a minister for Christ. How to live with a kingdom mindset. How to enjoy the love and the mercy and the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ. And how to not care about a title of our own. God, help us to be a people of humility. Who are Christ-focused and stay on message. And that message is the gospel. That we make glory not in ourselves, but in you always. <coughs> Give us the strength and the courage to do that. To be the ones that you have called to be your children. We thank you. We love you and we praise you. We honor you. And Father, if there be any who have heard this message who don't know you, who are not in Christ, who cannot enjoy the glory and the, and the, and the power and the majesty of Christ because they, are, they are, have rejected Him, God, we ask that this message would cut them to the heart. That they would repent and trust in Christ. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Outside of Christ, you will be like the chaff that's tossed in the air and burned with an unquenchable fire. Run to Him. Father, we thank You. Bless each family here. In Christ's name, Amen.